You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You have a seat, church. Good morning. There's always something about snakes that makes me a little creeped out, a little uncomfortable. I've got like good Texas stories for you this morning because I know how you guys love a good, a good snake story. I grew up, well, I didn't grow up. I spent a few years, let's say, um, at my grandmother's farm, this ranch that I was out in the middle of nowhere, Haskell, Texas. Uh, anybody know where Haskell is? Real Texans. Are you from there? We're probably related then. That's kind of weird. Well, anyways, back to the story. So we're in Haskell, Texas. Three miles from anyone, we're out in the middle of farming country. This is my grandmother's farm. It's in the family. We saw tons of snakes out there. I got snake stories like crazy. One day, though, we're out in the shed digging around. I picked up this sheet metal, and below the sheet metal was a den of snakes that were, like, in hibernating. So there's just two, like, giant snakes and then all these little baby snakes, rattlesnakes. And those are the dangerous ones, those baby rattlesnakes. Well, we ran out of there. My dad called the rancher, Tony. Tony comes screaming down. You can see him on that old dirt road from like miles away because the dust kicks up, you know. He comes screaming around, pulls a shotgun off of his rack and just blows these snakes to pieces. It was amazing. As a little boy, easy now. As a little boy, this was impressive. I had a BB gun, but I didn't have this. We saw a lot of snakes out there. There's something about snakes um, that also fit in our Lenten journey a little bit work with me here. As we wander through the wilderness, I picture myself, I'd go out on these hikes out in Haskell, Texas, all by myself with my fishing pole and my BB gun, and I'd be set. And it kind of reminds me of Lent, being out there all by yourself, out in the wilderness, wandering around. Something about being by yourself out in the wilderness, with a BB gun even, that gets you thinking about yourself. You're alone with your thoughts. You can think through things. That's kind of like Lent, isn't it? We can kind of unclutter enough, go out into the wilderness and think about the struggles that we have, the challenges that are beholden to us, our sin that we, we struggle with, our vices, those things that torment us and tempt us, those things all come to the surface, surface when we're quiet and alone enough. The snake, even in the wilderness, has long been an image for Christians of all of these things of that torment, of that temptation, of that evil and that sin. But it's also surprisingly been a symbol of healing. You might be surprised. It's both embodied in some way, but also reflected human belief throughout history about this deep disease in the human condition that we call sin. And also its ultimate cure, the snake. Of course, we see it in our Old Testament reading in this super strange story in the Old Testament, in Numbers Reading about how it's, it's also shown, we, we read how it's raised up on a pole. If people look to it, they're healed. But we also see in Greek mythology, this isn't just like the Christian tradition or the a Jewish tradition. We see in Greek mythology a symbol of the snake on a pole as a symbol of healing. If you think about like the medical tradition symbol, the serpent on a pole, you can, you can relate. You can see what I'm talking about. So as we've journeyed through Lent, we've been meditating on how we've been saved by grace. You know this, right? I want to ask, but saved from what? What, if, what are we really being rescued and healed from in the first place? And if we don't have a good view of this, if we haven't actually seen the snake in our lives, then we actually can't appreciate the grace of God. 
in its, all, in, all in its depth, right? We can't actually appreciate it. This season of Lent is so helpful because it unveils for us. It gives us the opportunity to unveil, to work with God, to uncover the fact that sin has made its deadly bite on us in our lives. We're so good at fooling ourselves into thinking, I'm all right. I haven't been bit. Things are generally okay. I'm a good person. Lent calls our bluff on all of that. Helps us to sober up to the truth that you and I need healing. We've been bit by sin. And we need healing. We need the help of God. And we we can't accomplish this healing on our own either. We've tried. I mean, you and I are like pros at this. We've done things in our lives. We've put things in place. We've like bought things. We've befriended people. We've taken on certain jobs. We've entered into certain ways of life as if to fill this hole or this brokenness in us to heal us. And at the end of all of that, we come to the same question, what else is it going to take for me to be healed? How do we overcome that temptation that always harasses us, that I can never seem to outgrow? How do we survive the bite of sin? This is really our Lenten question, isn't it? There's no taming sin. There's no negotiating with sin. There's no befriending it, this brokenness in our life. It's not an easy thing to do, to figure out how do we cure ourselves from this bite of sin? If you're anything like me, even spotting the snake of sin, if you can picture that, spotting that snake in the grass can be such a tricky thing. Sometimes even the sin we have in our life, we're not even aware of it, right? Sometimes just spotting it can be so difficult and tricky. And even once we, spotting, once we spot it, calling it out for what it is can be so costly to us. We have so many reasons not to see and call out that sin in our lives. So how do we spot that sin, that snake of sin in our life that slithers around just in our blind spot that endangers us constantly? Well, we see this question, exact same question, unfolding in our Old Testament reading this morning. Super strange. Did you all hear this story, by the way? Have you all read this story? This is crazy. It's incredible. Israelites, you know, they're, they're doing their thing again out in the wilderness, um, growing impatient. They complain to God and say, why have you brought us out of the land of Egypt, just to kill us out here, to starve to death. So they started speaking against God and against Moses. And so the Lord sent poisonous snakes that started biting and killing people in the wilderness. What in the world is going on out in the wilderness? I think one way to understand what it is that God's doing is he's showing them something that they're having a really hard time realizing. They're actually, in some ways, he's actually giving them the embodiment of the thing they're asking for. Putting it before their face that they would be able to see that departing from God and his saving work is death. It's poisonous. So it's actually in some kind of upside down way, a mercy here to say, no, look at what you're asking for especially if you think about this, insulting and complaining about the one who has saved you, not only from Egypt, but more than once since Egypt, who has fed you in the journey with bread from heaven, with water from rocks. This is the God that these folks complain against. 
the one who wants to lead you into complete redemption and safety. This isn't even the end of the journey, but ahead is, is the riches and the wealth of God's care for them in the promised land. Maybe they didn't realize that this was the God they were dismissing. Maybe they didn't realize that this was the God that they were speaking against. We would never forget that, right? The Israelites are like totally different from us. We wouldn't complain. Right? Nobody say amen to that. No. We see ourselves in this, don't we? It's Monday. Yeah, we're just like the Israelites. You know, we pick a day. What God did in sending these snakes was help them to realize that their mistake was rejecting the one who has provided and saved them, the rejecting life himself. And he brought to their face, he brought to their vision, their senses, these poisonous snakes that were bringing about the death that they weren't aware they were asking for. Just as the psalmist said, these Israelites had become sick in their sinful ways. Their sin had inflicted trouble in their lives. And when they realized that their voluntary sin, the sin that they were so willing to commit and cooperate with, when they realized that that sin was drawing them closer to the gates of death, as the psalmist prays, they finally cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he sent out his word and healed them. Wow. Okay, strange. It gets even weirder. Go with me here. When they begged God to save them from snakes, God told Moses to make an image of a poisonous snake and put it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten would look at this image of a poisonous snake on a pole and live. This is bizarre. And it worked. Even more bizarre. The serpent lifted up on a snake that heals those who look at it. This is incredible. And in, in a lot of ways, you can see some of the echoes. If you, see, if you look at this, this image of sin lifted up on a stick, that if people look to it and are saved, this reminds me of something. The cross of Christ, even in the wilderness, was being prefigured by the serpent lifted up on a pole. Wow. In fact, the one verse that is so many of us know, for God so loved the world, did you know the verse just before it? Can I read it to us again? Listen, I know we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. What about verse 14 and 15? Listen to this. Can I read it for us? And just as Moses, this is John chapter three. This isn't numbers. This is in the gospel of John just before, for God so loved the world. Okay, track with me here. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Wow, did you all know this context of John 3.16? That Moses in the wilderness, the serpent on a stick, this was actually the setting of this famous verse? Now a snake is hardly an image of who Jesus is, right? He's not this picture of evil and sin, the thing that's bitten us. In fact, Jesus is the exact opposite of that picture of evil and sin that we see in a snake, right? How can we make such a parallel? Maybe that's John's point. Have you ever heard 2 Corinthians 5, 21? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
he made him who knew no sin to be sin. The, the exact opposite of the serpent, God made him the serpent for our sake. That which was poisoning the people is now displayed as a beaten enemy, a beaten foe, judge, condemned, abandoned in the body of the least deserving human in history on the cross of Jesus. It's such a mystery that God would do that for us, isn't it? Think about this. All the sin that we have been guilty of throughout human history, God has brought all of that into the body of Jesus, the most innocent one, for our sake. What a mystery. That he who is the embodiment of perfect love, when human history looks back and says, what is love? Jesus shows up. He was the person of love. Kindness, grace, mercy, gentleness. The one who would willingly take our places on the cross in death. Friends, we've been talking about grace through the sermon series through Lent. This is grace. That he who knew no sin became sin for our sake. Not because we did anything to deserve it. Quite the opposite, despite us. Out of love for us, took our place at the cross. He became what we deserve in our sin. Why? So that we would feel super bad? No. So that we would actually be healed, like physically and spiritually healed inside and out. This isn't some sort of guilt ploy. You may have heard this before, like, well, turn to Jesus because of all these things he's done for you. Don't you feel bad? Forget feeling bad for a second. This is the truth. It actually happened. This exchange of sin in your life has been given over in the body of Jesus, and now you can be healed. That's the truth of it. And so people come to the cross, they come to Jesus, not out of guilt, but out of total gratitude of the grace of God. How can this be, God, that you would do this for me? You must love me so much. Amen. Thank you, John. This is why this season, this pause that we have in Lent is so helpful for us who get used to our sin, who call our laziness God's grace, who overlook things in our life and go, but God's grace covers all this. <laughs> Lent, it calls us out on that. If you're like me, it's so easy to get acclimated to my habits and rhythms and tendencies of sin and calling them not so bad or it's not a big deal to befriend sin, to make excuses for myself and my selfish ways, judging others with standards that I don't even use on myself as though if I have not been bitten by sin. None of that's grace, being nice about any of that. That's just selfishness. That's just accommodating and making excuses for ourselves, trying to pretend that everything's okay when things are not okay. That's not grace. That's accommodation. It's selfishness. It's rotten. And it doesn't actually help us. It just fools us. It doesn't heal us. It fools us. Well, Lent is like a cold splash of water on our face that sobers us up to all of these grace counterfeits. Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. 
and gives us a long, hard look at those ugly gallows atop the hill where our sin hangs defeated on the cross. Gives us that long, uncomfortable stare at the evil that is now displayed and being defeated in the body of Jesus. Crushed, stripped of its power in our lives. No longer does sin have dominion over us, but in Jesus and on his cross, that power has been emptied over us. And now when we look to the cross, we see the death of sin. We see true grace on display because he has taken our place. Friends, this is the context for John 3.16, which then says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not for some laissez-faire tolerance that says, look, we accept you and everything about the world and everything about you just the way you are. You're welcome. Of course, you're welcome in the church. We're not gonna judge you like that. But the gospel, the reason that Jesus died on the cross isn't just to accept us the way we are and to accept everything as a status quo in the world, not at all. No, it's actually way more confrontational, way more interesting than that. The cross isn't a rubber stamp of us or the world. The cross is this violent overthrow, this definitive force that condemns darkness to death once and for all. It signals the defeat to all the rulers in the world. Watch out, your time has come. There's a king and he sits on the cross, his throne. The banishment of the serpent of sin that slithers through our lives, that hides in the grass, at last is cast out. And there's a new announcement. There's a new headline for us of a new creation, of healing and forgiveness, a new life, freedom to those who put their trust in the cross of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's no yin and yang in the gospel. There's no like, well, there's good, and so there's got to be evil, and there's this balance of forces. There's none of that in the gospel. There's no amount of good in our lives that we can store up to, in our efforts, like overturn or balance the evil that sin has in us. There's no yin and yang here. There's no balance. There's only one thing that works in our favor to overcome our sin and our death, and that's the grace of God for us in Jesus. Does that make sense? There's no negotiating here. It is the triumph of God's grace, period. Ephesians 2 emphatically draws this out. Let me read some of these verses for us. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And again in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a work of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Wow. Friends, our part in this exchange, in this gospel, is so small. It's amazing how easy it is for us to overlook this. We've got like not a lot to do here, people. And we're so good at overlooking the way that we participate in this announcement, aren't we? Oh man, we're, we're master. I am. I'm a master at it. But it's so simple. Look to Jesus. Look to him. In every aspect of your life, turn your gaze to the one who heals you. Look to Jesus. That's all we have to do. 
Put your trust in the one who offers himself in your place that you would be healed. Even in the circumstance that you find yourself in, look to Jesus. You know, it's not hard to do. It's, it's hard to like miss that in this space, but I bet you we have. Um, one of the things I love about the liturgy is that there's all of these like triggers, these moments that if you're not paying attention or you're just kind of going through the motions, you may miss it. But if you're awake to what's actually happening in here, it's like that moment in the Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to color. You know what I'm saying? Whoa. He's everywhere. The cross is everywhere. For instance, and these are just moments where we can every Sunday respond to this gospel and look to Jesus. For instance, when I hold up the elements at the altar of the table, and you see people looking to the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus, what do they do? They make the sign of the cross looking to the cross and what it's given them and saying, yes, Lord, apply that healing of your cross even to this body. Amen. Amen. Some of us come from traditions where we raise our hands. You're totally welcome to do that. In fact, please do that. Well, this is the same for us as this. Yes, God, thank you. Amen. As we look to the cross. When the priest holds up the bread, when you come forward to receive communion and says the body of Christ, you have an opportunity to look to Jesus and receive his healing. When the cross is processed, we get that opportunity to look to Jesus and to respond with a bow saying, yes, Lord, you are king over me. All these opportunities in this service to look and see the cross of Jesus and respond with faith. Amen. May the cross be applied to us in our lives. May we receive it. Church, our gracious God has sent his only son to come down from heaven to be the true bread which gives us life. That we would look to him and respond in faith and say, yes, God, I want to receive this gift of life. May we evermore receive this gift in Jesus. May we be the kinds of people who can't help ourselves out of a love for him to continue day in and day out to receive this gift of Jesus. And that he may live in us and we in him, that we would never be apart, but we would abide together just as he desires for us. Who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.